0: I didn't realize you were so well versed in Utah culture.
1: I mean my my people are there wouldn't be Utah if it wasn't for my people. Who do you think brought them brought Brigham Young out? He sat in the back of the wagon freaking sick. For
0: <laughs> who are your city. people? Want, Just for clarity, who are, are your were, people here? They,
1: they were the angels of death. They 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 we wouldn't have we wouldn't have the West.
2: All right, Mark. Thanks for joining us and welcome everyone to the I.O. podcast. So Mark grew up in Idaho. We're going to talk about that a little bit. He went to Southern Utah University, which he calls the MIT of Southern Utah. Played some football there and then broke into tech after that, leading the revenue orgs at a bunch of really successful companies, parametric, opsware with Ben. Ben Horowitz and Mark Andreessen. If you've read Hard Thing About Hard Things, Mark's one of the main characters there, and actually how I got to know him a little bit too. He then joined Andreessen Horowitz, where he built out the market development team, which added billions in pipeline to the Andreessen Horowitz portfolio companies. We're going to talk about that. And then after Andreessen has spent his time as the COO of Signal FX, Skydio, now is investing and in, uh, advising startups and. Stoked to have you here today, Mark. Thanks for joining. Happy to be here. So real, real quick story. Uh, it, it'll just take 20 seconds or so. I'm sitting up in, in Boise, Idaho, Mark. I'm reading hard things about hard things. And I read this story about this sales leader from Southern Utah. And it's t- telling the story about a speech that you gave. I'm going to have you tell the story if you're open to it. <laughs> And Ben Horowitz is saying how he almost couldn't hire you because people were telling him, you cannot hire Mark Cranny. And I read this story. I burst out in laughter in my family room in Boise. I put my book down and I say to my wife, Laura, I got to meet this guy, Mark. I pick up my laptop and I send you, I don't know if you remember this, Mark, but I send you a cold LinkedIn message, something like, hey, thanks for setting the bar so high for a Southern Utah University grad in tech send. It wasn't a great cold message, you know, it was fine. You replied in about two minutes, go T birds. And you should have <laughs> seen how stoked I was. Laura still remembers the day that Mark Cranny replied to my message. And and the long story short is I finally convinced you to let me intern at the Bay Area. You made fun of me for going to get an MBA uh, and you you know changed the course of my of my career, so thanks for doing that. Uh, but Mark, I you gotta tell the story from the book. Do you mind Mind talking about why Ben Horowitz was like being advised not to hire you? Um.
1: Well, that was uh, it, it. Probably the takeaway from that is uh, reference checks. Uh, I provided them a very long list of references, and to his credit and a few of the other execs, they went through the whole list. I mean, probably dozens. One of the VPs on e-staff who I didn't even interview with because she and she knows who she is, was was out on maternity. Uh, Her husband was buddies with uh, uh, an ex-PTC guy or maybe he was still there. I don't remember. And he was a a trainer at PTC. And I used to when I was in the field as a second line manager, um, I'd go back and, you know, guest instructing type stuff. And he was a trainer, but, you know, a lot of the trainers weren't exactly not good enough to hang on to the leadership jobs, but not bad enough to get rid of. So they put him into training. Okay. And I might've been a little rough on one of his classes. Yeah. Tell us about that
2: class though. You got to say the line and everything, Mark. I don't
1: remember. I I think it's probably blown a little out of proportion. You know, I I said, look, you know, I don't care how well trained you are. If you don't hit your number, you're going to probably get a bullet. So um so it's not just about training is the takeaway it's it's about production. Yeah. I
0: actually it's, think there's a super interesting takeaway there because in the good times we tend to get very theoretical. And we kind of forget the rubber meets the road at a, at a certain point. And that's actually the only thing that matters. I'm curious if, if you would agree with that, Mark. Do you think that we can tend to get a little caught up in the philosophy of it all and, and forget that at the end of the day, this is about hitting a number and kind of doing whatever it takes to get there?
1: Well, look, look I, first of all, no one is a bigger advocate of training and enablement than me. And if anybody's been through one of my uh, boot camps, and there's a reason we call it a boot camp, it's, uh, you would know that the granularity and getting people from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence to conscious competence, and eventually unconscious competence is huge, right? And the quicker you do that in a new hire situation, the quicker you're going to have productivity. So in, in everywhere I've been, it's like very quickly, at least once a quarter, if you're scaling up, you know, when you get bigger, you know, you, you, you might have these once a month, but a new hire training class and everybody's got to go through it is, is huge. But I think the point I was making was, you know, there's plenty of meat squad, all Americans, <laughs> right? So if anybody's played any ball, you know, you're on the scout team and, you know, you're, you, you do great in practice, but uh, it's all about what happens on in game time, right? And everything you're doing outside of game time is preparing for whether it's sports, whether it's any profession, whether it's getting ready to make a sales call. If you've got eight hours to chop down a tree, how are you going to use that eight hours? Are you going to go sharpen the saw for seven and efficiently cut that down when it's game time or are you going to just sit there and hack at it for eight hours so when game time happens that's what that's what counts that's where they're keeping the score and you know how are you going to perform so when when it matters
2: so to, to finish that story ben tells it in the book that as soon as he heard this story of you saying you better hit your number he knew he had his guy he makes, you know, he hires you and you join him. And this was at, uh, this was at Opsware, right? That's that's the company you joined at that time?
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: So Mark, you mentioned the Idaho thing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you grew up, what life was like on the farm? And then of course, I'm gonna follow it up with like, what you take from that into your kind of career in tech and, and why that makes you different from other sales leaders. You mind talking about that?
1: Um, Sure, uh, I would say, uh, a lot of what you know when I'm looking when I'm interviewing people, um, it's one thing to go look at their professional career if they're young, you know, up and comer just coming out of school, you know, what they did in school and college. But I think a lot of uh, the really important stuff happens way before that. I mean, you're pretty formed by the time you're, you know, in your teens and uh, at a fairly you know, rough and tumble upbringing, I grew up in a very large farm. Uh, I think when I was there, they were running twenty-five, thirty thousand 30,000 acres, three cattle ranches kind of strewn out. My grandfather uh, was killed when I was four. I remember it like yesterday. Uh, my mother died two years later, uh, both in, in car accidents. Um, so it's kind of raised, I, I like to joke, I was raised by wolves, my old man and, uh and two uncles that were on the farm and I was, my old man was the oldest of the oldest and then he had two younger brothers. And then I was way, you know, way down there. So it was kind of like being a a youngest son. Uh, and you know, there wasn't, you know, there wasn't much coddling or helicopter type stuff back then. Uh, at least where I grew up. So So gentle parenting wasn't a
0: thing yet, huh? What's that? Gentle parenting wasn't a thing yet, huh?
1: Well, wow, they'd be in jail. <laughs> yeah, they, they'd be social services and, and uh, you know, or OSHA, right? I mean, it's a dangerous place to, to work and grow up. But, uh, I mean, one minute you're, you know, you're on a tractor and fixing something or welding, and the next you're, you might be on a horse up in the, you know, deep in the woods. Mm. And, you know, a lot of things can go wrong, so... Um, so it's just a, you know, there's a toughness component to it. You know, you got the weather to deal with, you've got the government to deal with, uh, uh, the big takeaway that I, I mean, I wouldn't trade that experience to the world. Uh, I learned a lot about business way before school. I mean, accounting, you know, the, the importance of inspecting what you expect, uh, granularity and process on tribal knowledge and capturing that. I mean, you're talking about, it's a. I think I was Gen 4 and they're doing Gen 6 planning now, you know, how to be efficient in a business. So when I when I'm looking at, you know, hiring or or partnering with someone, I want to know their kind of whole background and kind of what makes them tick and what what's their golden spur. And a lot of that probably comes from the earlier years. So,
0: so what do you. What are you trying to pick out specifically, Mark? Because you said they're pretty formed by the time you know, you're, you're teenagers and certainly by the time you're interviewing them. So when you, when you go to dive into what makes them tick, what are you looking for and what are you looking to avoid?
1: Well, so I mean, a lot of it depends on the role, right? So if we're talking about a, like a seller an AE, uh, you know, I'm looking for success themes and then proof points and, and, and progression. Right. And, and I'm also the success themes are things like, uh, you know, are they, you know, intellectual horsepower is is one. Obviously, it uh, doesn't have to be the the 3.99 or 4.0, uh, but, you know, and fine, the B students fine. But what else did they do? Uh, courage is super important, particularly on the selling side. Uh, how do they get that courage? What kind of courage is it? You know, what is the, you know, the, the EQ on top of the IQ, uh, focus and discipline. How do they get focus and discipline? Right. Uh, I'm also looking for, do they have a little bit of woo, like personality? Hmm. Uh, you know, they how they carry themselves? Uh, are they going to get attention? What Can they put themselves in somebody else's shoes? Can they do they listen? Do they, can they take instruction? Do they work as a team or are they more individual contributor? You can figure a lot of this stuff out and there's nothing wrong with, you know, I've noticed a big difference between like a individual sport athlete and a team sport athlete. Not saying one's better or the other, but there's a different management that happens there as well. And some of that might be, you know, how they grew up, how they were coached. Uh, and, or on the academic side, you know, who their, you know, mentors were, what was the family upbringing like? What birth order were you? You know, that explains a lot of things too. Is it a big family and you're the youngest? Are you in the middle? Are you an older, were you one of the older child? Who are you competing with? Competing with your parents, you're competing with your kids or your uh, siblings.
2: Mark, do you want to, do you want to find oldest children? Is that what you're looking for there? What's a good answer there?
1: I don't, there isn't a, there isn't a good answer there. There's probably an understanding that happens. Yeah. You know, the the younger child is probably competing with the older siblings for attention versus the older ones probably competing with the, for the attention of their parents with, you know, with other people might be the uncles, right? Yeah. In In my case, right. So
2: you mentioned courage just, is a big deal a too. Of, oh, go ahead. If, if you're gonna
1: go jump into a team or get somebody on your team, you wanna kinda understand what you know what their uh motivations are and how you're gonna interact with them going forward. So
2: you mentioned courage is a big deal, especially if you're hiring for like an AE or sales role. How do you find out if someone's courageous? What kind of questions are you asking for that?
1: Well, and it's not necessarily you know, courage is probably, uh, you know, you can ask kind of crazy questions. What's the most courageous thing you've ever done?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Have you ever had a near-death experience? Things things of that nature, right? What Have you ever had to overcome, you know, big
2: trauma? Yep. Tell me about it. So you mentioned sports. You end up going to Southern Utah University on a football scholarship, right?
1: Uh, actually, I went on an academic. I, I, was, I was hell bent on playing quarterback. I was, you know, buck 65 and five foot 10 <laughs> went to Southern Utah because I, thought I, could, I th- thought I could play quarterback. It lasted a whopping week. So I broke my hand first. I broke my throwing hand the first week and ended up playing DB anyway. So. Gotcha.
2: All right. So you're in Cedar city, Utah, for those who aren't familiar, this tiny town, Southern Utah, very small school, small program. How do you break into tech coming out of a small program like that? Being an Idaho farm boy, like what's your journey into tech? Like, how'd you do it?
1: I went to after school. I went to, you know, I pivot, you know, there's forks in the road. There's decisions you make like one's, you know, I went to a small, no name school. Well, I went there for my own reasons and, you know, you're 18 years old and, yeah, you I know, wanted to play quarterback. I wasn't, you know, thinking about, you know, the name of the school. I ended up graduating business degree, uh, you know, had a family, needed to make money. Uh, the reason I got into sales was it, it was something, I said, where can I go compete day to day have control of my own destiny, kind of like owning your own business. I knew I wasn't going to farm. I knew that very early. One place I could go, and I ended up just going to the biggest city that was the closest. I got in my four-wheel drive and drove to LA and interviewed for two weeks and had multiple offers in the office equipment industry. So I went from there to medical devices and equipment, and then in 98, I crossed over from a medical device startup to where was a VP of sales and marketing to uh, PTC. Um, I was up in Seattle, I was looking around, Microsoft, this whole internet thing, some guy named Mark Andreessen and the web thing was going on. And they were hiring, their profile was to hire, uh, I said, look, we don't care about the tech, we want uh, extremely trained, competent sales and leadership and management training. We'll teach the tech. I progressed at, at PTC to run in the Americas and got a call early 2000s from a recruiter. And I'd avoided the Valley for a long time. I was back in Boston. I'd moved back to Boston. So, Mark, when we Americas think when
2: and, we were uh, thinking about this convo, and you know, I thought about my time interning with under you at Andreessen, What seems to stand out with you and your background is kind of what Ben Horowitz said in that book is if I remember right, you showed up with a literal playbook, an actual really thick document of like, here's all my references, here's how I'd run training, here's how I'd manage folks. We'd love to spend like, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes kind of better understanding that playbook if you're open to that. And so a bunch of founders will be listening to this and they're gonna be wondering how they can hire their own Mark Cranny as a head of sales. Like what should they be looking for as they hire a head of sales? What are the things that they need to make sure well,
1: one of the biggest mistakes, I think, uh, particularly product centric first time founders make is uh, they go for the bigger company and the bigger company name. The, the the easiest way to, I think, figure out how to hire these type of executives are it's not is to determine, are they somebody that's run in somebody else's playbook or are they somebody that's put it together?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. And deployed it. And they have do they have the granularity to do that, or are they just a good, a better later stage person that's fine at operating something that's already scaled up? There's nothing wrong with those type of cats. And but if they don't have the desire to learn and innovate and drive that granularity of the process and customize that playbook to the comp the company that they're joining, that's a that can be a big disappointment, right? Oh, well, I'll just hire a I'll hire an enablement person. That I just it never, it almost never works. Or I'm not, I'm the big picture guy or gal, right? That type of stuff never works. I want to run the spreadsheets. You know, there's there's plenty of there's people that can put it together and there's people that can run in it. Easiest way to kind of delineate that
0: so this is actually something that i think about a lot because when i hear the term playbook i think oh you imagine that there's some exactly repeatable thing that i had at this company and i'm just gonna do the same thing over here and and I, i i think that's totally wrong because what every situation is unique and has these different variables so what i just heard you say mark is if you were the person who developed the playbook at your last company, you're going to be able to tweak it and, and make it successful in a new environment. And if need be, redo the whole damn thing. But if you just ran somebody else's playbook, you're just going to try and shove that square peg into a round hole. Did I, and it's not And it's not going to work. Did, did I, because that's, I would agree with that. Is that what you were saying, Mark?
1: Yeah. I mean, it, think about, it, you know, taking, you know, you go hire a big company exec, and they've been operating in somebody else's playbook because they didn't put it together. Um, all of a sudden you, can't, you you come in and try to retrofit that. A good, a good ex- an easy example is to look, is this a PLG bottoms up? or is this a top down? or do I need to put all three or four layers in, you know, enterprise, you know, major counts, you know commercial in the middle, SMB. right? A lot of it, it it's so much of it depends on the, the company, their maturity, the product, their customers, the the domain knowledge inside the customer base, what verticals, what how to how to stair step that function. You know, where am I going to go first? Mm-hmm. Is, am I going to enter in on the side, or can I go top down? How can I? What the competition is? Who the incumbents are? You got a lot. Of, you got a, There's a lot of things to yep. figure out. Right. The stage of the company is, is a huge. If somebody hasn't done those stages or been a student of the game, I mean, they're probably a schmo, not a pro. Right. Yep. So are they a student of the game? Are they a student of the business? And what do they bring to the table? Do they have a, re, you know, particularly on the leadership side, do they have a following? Yep. Right. So absolutely think, or did they inherit easy question All right. well I you know I ran a hundred people for a year 18 months at XYZ big company and had a huge number but you know that number you have a huge base and how many of those people did you hire how yeah. many would follow you let's pick up what's you know what are the references would you follow this person to the next deal the what you're trying pers- to figure do- out
0: is what did you actually build? Like where are your fingerprints? Who did you hire? What were the things that you had to figure out for yourself versus you know it was it was just scaling what somebody else had already done? Because I think that's a skill set that uh, is is pretty common in revenue orgs in in tech these days. Is like hey we all know how to go out and kind of like add add bodies to it scale the comp plan but to figure out everything from the ground up like what's your mix what percent inbound what percent outbound what's your SDR to AE ratio like the people who actually figure that stuff out and then and then bring in scalers it's a it's a totally different skill set altogether
1: well the other the other piece you you really want to look for is maturity as well and and look the the founder T- particularly product centric technical founder. And that's kind of where uh, you know, particularly with Ben, I and and subsequently after and even at my time at Andreessen Horowitz was uh that exec or these go-to-market execs, or any exec for that matter, is what's the complement and what is are we ready to do whatever mm-hmm. is in this playbook, right? Yeah. And having the maturity to say, well, that's yeah, look, I mean, I, I remember being at, at, at uh, Opsware just a few weeks and I'm saying, look, we got, you know, your product's a complete disaster. It's a mess. <laughs> and you're talking about all these goofy terms that no one talks to a customer about. Like they, they you know, they had features and functions and architecture named after wrappers and stuff. Right. Well, you got to go and explain <laughs> what Purple Rain is because... I don't know what the hell purple rays. I mean, literally spinning and, and it, I'll give you another example at, at Signal FX, the first 90 days, I we had a almost a daily standing meeting on architecture and building out the POV or the point of view, the, the pitch deck, and and building out and layering how we're going to take a customer across that journey into our differentiation versus incumbents versus our. You know, startup type competitors, 90 days with the founders, the tech and the VP of Inch, the CTO, the technical founder. It said, you know, let's get on the whiteboard and then transfer this thing into, uh, you know, a pitch deck and a progression. How do we layer this bite sized chunks of this content across the, the stage gate sales process, put medic over the top for opportunity management? and be able to take someone down this journey. And you're never done. You're never done with it. You're always going to be iterating. And how do you do it now versus, and you know, understanding what the where the product was, where it is, and where it's going. The roadmap is super important because you can get customers, particularly in the startup board, you can get customers to go with you on that journey if you can articulate where I'm at, where I've been, where I'm at, and where am I going to go and get them to buy in with, okay, I get it. I get it. This is why it's different. The whole thing about a startup, you know, the startup is you're doing something different that a customer yeah. doesn't necessarily know the value of a go-to-market organization is to help a customer determine what their buying criteria is. Well, right? and- it's not about communicating value. It's about creating value. Yeah. And
0: Mark, you just hit something that like uh really, really tugs at my heartstrings because you know, a lot of people think like medic is their their sales process is their methodology
1: I, I just that drives me nuts. i know <laughs> it drives me completely nuts uh, i'm at, wait our sales process is medic it's not it's not a sales process yeah. it's an opportunity qualification right. process what you it's, were talking about the work
0: you did on the whiteboard
1: somebody tells me that it's like boom eject button out
2: <laughs> you're not wrong you you what you're saying, something, Sterling. It's the work on the whiteboard is actually the sales process, is what you're saying.
0: Well, and, and what Mark, Mark Mark's saying is, you know, the, those those first ninety days, and who's in the room? You got the CTO, you got the the product visionary, and the founders, and you're mapping out you're mapping out this journey, and you're saying, how do we differentiate at crucial junctures, and how do we actually take this to market? I I think it's a little bit of a lost art. I think we just kind of jump in. We got we all got hooked on. <laughs> Yeah, go I'm ahead. Not mark. Sure, it's a
1: found art. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're probably right. Um, hey, look, it's, don't forget. I mean, it's Mark. It's the marketer. It's the customer success. The pro serve person. It's getting everybody on the same sheet of music. One little trick I I've used for a few decades, particularly in this process, is and back to the sales training piece and enablement is taking that. The first thing I want to do and the the the, the stake in the ground is, all right, in a month, two months, probably is typically a 90-day process. I'm going to have my first boot camp. Guess who's going? It's not just for the sellers. Hmm. Everybody's going. Everybody's going to boot camp. Guess who's delivering it? Hmm. The whole e-staff. Okay? Guess how we're going to deliver it. We're not going to sit in there and, and PowerPoint it and – here's how you do it. And everybody sits around and break everybody up into teams. I got sellers, I have SEs, I have product marketers, product managers. I have the execs, founders, technical, other founders, even the CFO, we're playing customer. Back to uh, Tyler, Mr. Cornell MBA from (laughs) Southern Utah, right? We're going to actually treat it like we're going to have two or three case studies from things from hopefully customers we've done or people we're we're in process with, if it's super early stage, and we're going to go through all the stages and gates of the sales process, all the content, about 50% product content, 50% process. And every time we go through, okay, here's the POV, here's the pitch, here's how we do it. Here's how we tell the story. Here's the deliverables. Here's a list of discovery questions. Here's a list of criteria and, you know, starting with the, competitive depositioning, we're gonna stop. We're gonna make them go through a discovery process day one at the end of the day. The next morning we're gonna make them pitch. So we're actually treating this like a case study in these teams and we can make it competitive. By the end of the by the end of the week we go through the entire the entire sales process in a case study with teams. Everybody's competing they have to present in front of their peers like three to five times, well, four or five times across the four and a half day boot camp. And the reason to call it boot camp is it's, you know, you might not make it. You might be <laughs> ringing the bell, right? What that gives you is, A, you're going to get to conscious confidence very quickly. You're going to have, you're, you as a, as a new hire are going to be forced to work with the deliverables, to perform in front of peers, we're not going to wake up six, nine, 12 months later and figure out that, A, we haven't done our job at training and enablement, enabling you, and B, you haven't done your job mm. preparing. There's going to be no excuses by Friday. No excuses. So your your productivity ramp dramatically can you know collapses the second piece is it's a forcing function for the whole organization to understand what our gaps are what's some gaps in our strategy what's the gaps in our content what's the gaps maybe our roadmaps off maybe we got to get better at this what's our gap in our tooling right what's our gap in our revops piece what's our gap in our pricing and packaging and quoting and things and that what do we need to do from a uh, a system standpoint across the org and then at least once a quarter I'm turning that versus once a year to do go do the SKO, right? Or oh yeah. once a year the marketer's gonna redo the pitch deck. Complete you can't do that in a startup high growth situation. You just can't. Yeah. You'll get you will get annihilated. Toast, burnt toast, kind of like when Tyler was playing You know, try to pitch, maybe. You know, in his youth. So, Mark, you 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 look. I I think it was first base. Is that right?
2: Were you going to say I look like a first baseman, Mark? You are not wrong. First baseman.
1: Yes.
2: (laughs)
0: So, Mark, this is this is like gospel, and this is stuff that everybody should be doing that almost nobody does. But here's a question for you. Um, I, I always felt super lucky running revenue at Divi because Tyler was a very sales-minded product leader. And so a lot of this stuff, he was he was just as gung ho about it as I was. But this this sort of process that you just outlined, where you've got your technical leaders, you've got your e-team, how do you how do you bring how did you bring them along? Because I think I think there's a lot of people who'd be fairly resistant to it.
1: Uh well, Look, this is a culture issue too, right? So, yep. uh, you you know, you're charging up the hill. If you get up to the top of the hill and there's a bunch of them at the bottom still, then you know, <laughs> you you just leave them or you run back down and shoot them. I mean, <laughs> usually you just leave them. So I don't know. I don't. Yeah, you, know, you either you either
2: get with the program or go find another program. Yeah. So. But what if it's your what if it's your counterpart, Mark? It's the CTO. He's on he or she's on the E team with you. You can't go shoot the CTO when you're the VP of Sales or the CRO. So how do you bring your peers along?
0: Well, Mark just disagreed with you there.
2: Uh
1: well, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, you have a little bit of sales skill. <laughs> yeah, you'd you know, hope you, <laughs> you can persuade them. Yeah, but right. So ideally. So you brought up you culture. got to get people to buy into the program, right? And look, you look, you look at any organization or company. You know, look, Bill Belichick doesn't. You know, he he goes out he, or any coach. You go out and you you play a season with that team. You're always trying to get better during that season. But you look left and you look right. A year or two down the line, there's going to be different team members. Yeah, right. You're all. It's all about getting better, and it's not about you or me. It's about the mission, right? Here's the mission. So you've got to evangelize and say, look, this is why we're doing this. They'll see it. Again, probably the easiest way and the most effective way to reduce this cycle time is what I just described. They're part of, everybody is part of putting this boot camp together. Their teams are, their new hires are going through it. Right, so we also would do a would also do a, a a second week. So all the like sales engineers and or product uh, managers or marketers, technical product managers or marketers should go through this as well. The, the sales piece: how do you interact with each other from from R and D all the way to you know product engineering, product management, to product marketing, to marketing demand gen, all the content downstream to the SEs and the sellers, everybody's management, you you think about there's another, we'd always do at least another week of a deep dive for the SEs. I want my SEs to be, you know, on par with a, a technical product manager and or technical product marketer, right? I want to be able to move them, particularly if I'm hiring somebody, a lot of my best uh Technical product marketers or even managers have come up through the SE path, right? And everybody can get, you know, singing from the same sheet of music using the same playbook because it's all about moving the process along with the customer and their buying journey. And the more efficient we get, where everybody's showing up at the right time in the right place to move the chains or to move that process along, that's where you get efficiency, right? Yep. And that, I think that's in anything, you know, Bill Belichick is, you know, there, or any coach that you might like, I hate the, the Patriots, but, um, <laughs> I love Bell,
2: you know, he's, you know,
1: those old school type coaches are, or, you know, you can learn a lot from there from them
2: and they're always adjusting. Mark, you brought up culture and that it's a culture issue at some point. What's the culture of a Mark Cranny led sales org? And how did you, how did you instill it?
1: Well look, it it's look, we're it's it, it's granular process, uh it's about uh, terrorizing incumbents, it's about winning. That's the only thing that matters is winning and win rates and everything you've put together from a process and a people and a tech standpoint to make it repeatable and to scale it. And to get everybody singing from the same sheet of music, so if somebody's not pulling their weight, because the sell, enterprise selling is a team sport, it's definitely not an individual sport. I think there's this this fallacy or this mindset that it's you know it's about an individual contributor. The best ICs are the ones that that run their business like leaders and can know when to get the right resource and or use the right deliverable at the right time to move the ball. And they're very good at spending their time in the right place. And then the inspection, you know, inspecting what you expect. And and look, medics, that's probably the biggest advantage of deploying medic on top of a world-class sales process is the inspection piece, right? It's a quick and dirty way of understanding where I'm at, determining what the next steps should be, and qualifying what to do next, right? You've so. used that
2: phrase twice now, Mark. To inspect what you expect, teach us about that. I mean, I I could probably guess what you mean, but what's the framework? What's your learning there?
0: They didn't cover that uh, in the MBA class
2: at Cornell, Mark.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I told you to waste two years with that
2: thing. But. In fact, what you told me was, why would you go pay $90,000 a year for a wasted degree when I could get you a better network in 20 minutes in Silicon Valley? That's what you told me. By the and way, you, Mark was right, 100%. He was right. Yeah, he was right.
1: Yeah, look, i sure it looks good on your wall. How, I'm surprised it's not behind you right now. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's great! That's
1: I great. would have loved it to be able to hang out for two years and,
2: you know, at Cornell
1: that would have been fun.
2: Mark, so. I spent one of those two years trying to convince you to hire me, so it worked out. It worked out okay, right? It worked out. All right. Hey, so we're we're coming up on some time here. Sterling, are there any other uh, playbook questions? We got to make sure we pull out a mark before we we wrap up in a minute.
0: So I I think I think Mark crushed it. I I am curious. You've you've invested in, advised, worked at a bunch of these companies. What's the most common thing that people just get wrong? Like that they that that, that is broken in their
1: thinking? Oh I, that's a tough question. There's a long list. <laughs> Let's hear the um, top few. Get you know, when you say people, who what people? Founders, let's let's talk. Let's talk founder, leadership. Let's talk. Sellers. Let's
0: talk specifically about like founder, yeah, you know, founder leadership team.
1: Mm-hmm. Probably the the biggest one is, uh, and I, you know, I dealt with this. I still have dealt with it a little bit, but uh, at Andreessen Horowitz is like teach me how to, yeah, you know, I, you know, they a, a lot of the learnings on the tech side uh yeah they think they can they can apply the same methodology i can read a book uh teach me how to sell on a one-on-one for a half hour that type of stuff um the it's like the there's look there's tech founders but there's also like organizational founders
2: mm-hmm.
1: right so that's kind of and and the knowledge that i think ben actually had mentioned this uh in one of his podcasts or something, look, I could, I, from a founder standpoint, I need to go buy domain and institutional knowledge that could be customer, you know, with a, say a sales leader or a CMO or a customer success person, um, go hire what you don't have. Don't try to figure it out all yourself. A lot of, you know, but the only way of doing that is you, from a, from a technical founder standpoint is you got to. You've got to educate yourself. You've got to do some of this stuff yourself. you got to get out in the field and get your, you know, get run over a few times before you're going to become consciously incompetent, right? Yep. Because a lot of people, I think they're just unconsciously incompetent. They don't know what they don't know. You know, they haven't spent, I mean, I've called on, I mean, thousands and thousands of sales calls. Across the world with thousands of companies. Been in a lot of situations. A lot of situations not about what they said verbally, the the customer, the seller. It's about you know reading tea leaves. It's about running a process. It's about not taking, you know, cutting corners. I think founders cut corners, sellers, sales managers, marketers, everybody wants a shortcut. There are no shortcuts. What happens if you take a shortcut, you guys are up in Utah, I, I assume, yep. right? It's a little easier in Utah because it's not, you know, it's, it's just Utah, it's mostly desert. But if you go up in Idaho where they have, actually have forests and trees and water, um, if you go out and you know, take a shortcut in certain areas, at least where I grew up, you know, you might end up being bear shit, right? <laughs> That's what happens a lot, I think, in company building is people take shortcuts and they end up getting wiped out.
2: What's an example of a shortcut that founders try and take? What, what, what's a good example of that?
1: Well, one is, uh, look, I'm going to hire, uh, we're, we're a bottoms up company. And uh, I, I know that we are going to need a, a higher end BPSLs, but I want to start with an inside person. And then I can probably get a year or two out of them and then I'll top them. Right? it's probably better to over provision. A a good example is if I, you know, like take Okta, for example, Uh, Adam Aaron's at Okta, I was one of the first companies I worked with at in Andreessen Horowitz before I even joined there is they had, they had had this kind of strategy of doing it the way this goes back to the playbook thing. Both the founders had come out of Salesforce and Benioff built that company bottoms up, and it was an inside Salesforce, and then they layered things up. What was apparent to me very quickly was the value proposition for uh, cloud identity management. At least at that time, was at the bigger companies versus the smaller ones. That was going to be sticky, and the bigger dollar, the bigger dollars were going to be there. Hire some. Don't just hire an inside person. Hire somebody that can build the outside direct sales force and they can backfill and run the inside sales force as well. Right. Don't under provision, over provision because you want to skate to where the puck's going to be, not to where the puck is or was. Yeah. Right.
2: Got so it. that's an example. Cool. Good. I realize Mark, I, I cut you off on the inspect what you expect thing. Can you teach us about that in 30 seconds? I want to hear it. I don't
1: think you did. I don't think you did. it uh, hey, look, You know, medic is an inspection tool. It's a forecast inspection, a deal inspection tool. You know, do you have metrics? Do you you talk, you know, where are we out with the economic buyer? Do you understand the decision process? Do you understand the And can you impact the decision uh, criteria? Right. Have you identified pain? Do you have a champion? Right. Uh, A lot of people use med pick. You know, the paper process. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Got it. So do you know the difference between a coach and a champion? Or a supporter, right? People screw that up all the time, right? I can't tell you how many sales calls I've, you know, gone in. Oh, I'm going to introduce you to the champion. Walked out and said, "That's not your champion. That's your enemy. (laughs) (laughs) That's somebody that's standing close to you to to bury you." So, Mark,
0: one thing that's like just kind of resonated throughout the whole conversation, I think, in revenue leadership, uh, especially during kind of the the zero interest rate phenomenon era there became a philosophy about like i'm just gonna love my reps and my managers i'm just gonna love them so much that they're gonna perform really well i'm gonna love them to their number and when i time peace time peace time those guys aren't gonna make it are they bear shit
1: that was time well (laughs) i mean look around it's wartime now
0: And I want to call out for everybody that this operating at the lowest level of detail and establishing these processes and doing that hard work up front is what makes you durable and gives you staying power, right? If you confuse, like, culture and process and all of these things and you get them mixed up and you just think, well, I'm just going to, like, encourage and love people to hitting their number, it doesn't work when it gets really hard. It crumbles.
1: Yeah, it's it's look and not, you know, it gets that's a culture question, too. Right. It not everybody wants to sign up to go, you know, join or, you know, play for Bill Belichick. Right. Yeah. They don't want that kind of pain. So, again, that gets back and it's and it's incumbent upon the hiring authorities uh, as well as as an applicant to decide, is this a right fit for me? Do I like that type of culture? Do I like that? You know, you know, these people want to be, you know, they want an 80, 90% win rate, right. Or do if you, if you don't, you know, you need to self select in yeah. or out. If you don't like that, if you want that peacetime culture, there's plenty of big companies where you can do your, you know, work life balance and all that good stuff and and have it. Yeah. Right. If you want to go to war and have fun, you know, disrupting a uh, a space, terrorizing and you know, bigger company incumbents, and carving something out that's special, and then you know, you're going to pay that price. But you've got to figure that out.
0: The fr- it's I- not just
1: about it's not just about the hiring authority yeah. though, either. It's about the applicant uh, you You got to want to be in that granular. I'm going to get better 1%, 2% every day, right? I want people, I want to be around people that 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 think that way, that operate that way. That's up to you, right? If you don't want to self-select out if you don't like yeah.
0: it that mutual opt-in is a big deal. I screwed this up so many times when I was learning because I just thought, Hey, if, if you're, if you're smart and capable and talented, like I, I want you, right. I didn't realize that, that it had to be mutual. And so the phrase that I started using later on in the journey was we're, we're the Navy SEALs. And so if you're looking for the coast guard, like this isn't, this isn't for you and, and you're not for me. Right. And that's perfectly okay it's actually there's no right or wrong answers like you said there's plenty of companies out there if you're looking for for a coast guard gig but like we're trying to be navy seals and yeah,
1: easy on the coast guard i, I <laughs> one of my one of the ptc guys i work for johnny johnny Hanlon, at ptc was a coast guard guy he, well, he might have been maritime marines or something but he might not have been good enough to get in the coast guard early <laughs> on
2: mark we have a couple questions Easy on the Coast Guard. Easy. I understand your analogy. You got it. Right. You got it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll I'll polish it up. I didn't know you were so easily offended there, Mark. We'll, we'll throw it down a little <laughs> bit. Killers. Killers.
1: You're probably not a killer if you're in the Coast Guard. You're <laughs> a <right>. saver. <laughs> that's right.
2: All right, couple questions we asked just to wrap it up, uh, kind of rapid fire. Mark, you're obviously a pretty experienced operator, but who's the operator or leader that you admire the most?
1: Look, there's a lot of great operators. you're probably gonna ask me investors and you know, there's a long list of them. So I am gonna ask you,
2: you that one. What about an investor you admire, if you admire yeah, any of them?
1: Of course it's it's you two. Yeah, you know, exactly. You know, Up gentlemen, yeah, you know, entering your investing career. So
2: nailed it. All right, Mark, this was great, man. Sorry for the, the early hiccups, but great conversation. We right. loved it. We'll send you a recap you after. I
1: out all this swearing, probably, because you guys are in Utah Valley. Bear probably, shit right?
0: stays exactly where it is.
2: We wanted a bunch more swearing. I didn't want the PG version of Mark, but we got it. <laughs> well, I'm trying to be
1: cognizant of the, you know, demo. You guys still got to go, you know, serving the bishopric this weekend. <laughs>
2: <laughs> all right, Elder Cranny. Take you care. See See ya. See ya.
0: How did the convo go versus what you were expecting? Called you a first baseman, which I didn't, I don't know what that means. A little beefy is what you said.
2: Okay, that's nice.
0: Um, so I, I, and I don't know, maybe drinking the tea a little bit as someone who spent most of their time in revenue, but that was, that was incredibly valuable to anybody who wants to understand how to actually tactically Set up a, a go to market motion. That was amazing.
2: Yeah, Mark did a good job of actually getting into the weeds on his playbook, I think, in a way that other guests haven't yet. And the other observation I had is how similar a lot of the stuff he says is to what you say. Like I've been around <laughs> Sterling enough that I know he just eats, breathes, drinks this GTM stuff. And I knew you'd like Mark and you guys are singing from the same hymn book to it, use his word. It was,
0: it was honestly funny because a lot of the stuff he's saying, I'm like, I haven't,
2: I haven't heard much people. of this. Shibboleth.
0: Shibboleth. Yes. He, he was spewing shibboleth like the whole time. Um, but,
2: you better uh, tell people what shibboleth is. Uh,
0: shibboleth is a, a term from the Old Testament. They actually used it to to tell like um, if you were if you were the enemy. If you mispronounced shibboleth, they knew you were an impostor. And funny enough, he said when people call medic a sales process, he knows they're not for real, yeah. right? Like, and and he had he had a couple of really good insights there. Um, one thing that was funny to me is. We, we tried to dig into like, hey, how do you get a product leader, an engineering leader to participate in this boot camp? Because um, I, I think there'd be a fair amount of resistance to that at a lot of companies.
2: Yeah. what do you think of his answer? I mean, it, to me, it was pretty simple. It's like, well, A, you've got to persuade them and yeah. B, this isn't a revenue bootcamp. Yes. It's a company bootcamp. That's right. So reframe the whole thing.
0: That's right. And he, the amount of times he said something to the tune of like alignment or sing from the same sheet yeah. of music and you have, but you have to create that culture from the very top 100%. down. It's actually one thing I felt like you always did a very good job of as a product leader is making sure that you're standing shoulder to shoulder with uh, you know the the, the frontline sales teams, the frontline support teams. Um, but it, it's an easy thing to not do uh, unless you're very intentional about it.
2: Yeah, I agree that so let's, we talk themes, one of the themes was like, this go-to-market thing is not a revenue thing. It's the whole company, and it's mm. his job to get the whole founding team bought into his playbook, essentially, yeah. his boot camp. And that's, I think, a key theme that, that shined through. You agree?
0: 100%. The other thing that stuck out for me is his, his sort of moving from unconscious, incompetence yes, all the way times. to conscious competence. And... <laughs> It's it's amazing because you you have to know pretty much at any given time and on any given topic, where are you on that scale? Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, it's impossible to make progress. You also have to know where people on your team are. On on that scale and on that path of progression. Otherwise, you can't really help them that much either.
2: Which is why he's so big on training, yep. by the way, because he sees training as the only way to move along that spectrum to conscious competence.
0: And then he's trying to cram all of that training and enablement into the shortest amount of time possible. Correct. He's not... He's not like a, hey, you know, we, we throw you in there and you learn on the job kind of thing. Yep. He's like, it is my job to get you prepared to go to war. Sharpen the axe. Yep. And then it's your job to be successful once you're there.
2: Exactly. And so, yeah, go ahead. That was another theme. Sorry, finish your thought. No, no, go ahead. Third one that you called out was, and this is another shibboleth that you always say, is operating at the lowest level of detail. It is clear that Cranny did that. And he's not this figurehead leader. <laughs> And I don't think CROs and, and let alone other executives can really be figurehead leaders, especially at the startup stage.
0: Tyler, I got the advice from board members, from investors, from mentors all the time that I was, I was too granular, right? I was, I was in it too much. And I, I have just come to believe that that is absolute peacetime crap, And if you don't understand your business at at that lowest level of detail and understand what the actual drivers are and which levers you actually can pull, you're just living on borrowed time. And I think uh, talking talking to Mark sort of strengthened my conviction there.
2: Yep, I agree. All right, what else? What other themes? I mean, uh, Uh,
0: another theme is very clearly like the hiring bar and Mm -hmm. the hiring practice and his sort of mutual opt-in. You have to know who you are and accurately advertise who you are who you are yep. to attract uh, the right people and then you have to verify that they are in fact those people but it is a it's a mutual thing
2: yep 100% the one regret i have is we didn't spend a bunch of time talking about the team and the process he built at & and horowitz mm. which completely changed venture capital and the 22nd version is he called it the market development team, but it essentially was outsourced or sales assistant for the portfolio companies where they would help fill your pipeline and help train you how to be an elite sales org as a part of the investment that Andreas and Horowitz made into your company. He ran that org and you know he'd go to these founders like Okta and he'd say, Todd, who do you want to sell to? Are you who, Who's in your pipeline? And Todd would say Walmart and Sears and Amazon. And he'd say, great. I'll have the CIOs in Andreessen's office next Wednesday. Can you fly down? And we're going to have you pitch them, and we're going to help you, you know, add them to your pipeline. And so this guy has added more pipeline to more software companies probably than anyone who has ever existed, which is pretty
0: cool. And then on the investor side, what a one of the things that, separated Andreessen, Andreessen exactly. for a lot of years yep. was was that uh was that motion a lot of
2: people have tried to copy it and just like it uh, true elsewhere you can't copy it without the people and so mark mark is the one who made that happen pretty tough to copy that guy copy that guy he's a one of one
0: that was fun